Well, hello, welcome along to another episode of the Mild Mannered Army podcast with me, Mild Mannered Max. As I record this introduction, it's quite late at night on the 4th of June, which is a long time after the recording of the episode you're about to hear, but things have run away from me slightly. We don't need to get bogged down in that. This episode is going to be a continuation of Nick Amy's and I trawling through uh, the Britpop Top 50 as defined by me. And yeah, along the way we discuss all sorts of records that you will know and love and maybe one or two that you don't know and maybe that you don't even love. Whichever way. Let's hope you enjoy it. Bye! So, right, okay, well, let's get into it then. Right, Echo Belly, Nick Amy's. What are your thoughts on Echo Belly, first of all? Yes, I love Echo Belly, to be honest. I love Echo Belly a lot and Sonia Madden. Um, Yes, I remember hearing this back in early 94 and then getting hold of everything they did as soon as it came out pretty much afterwards. But this one is, is particularly rough and ready. And quite raw, quite a raw sound, I think, compared to the um, to the versions of the songs on the EP, which eventually came out on the debut album. That's right. And um, so it wasn't exactly polished, but it definitely had more clarity to it. I think. And yeah, they didn't lose that early rough edge. And uh, I think if you listen to any of the early Echo Belly songs, what always uh, strikes me is Sonia's voice is actually very sweet. But sometimes it's hard to appreciate that because the music can be so challenging. It's actually quite, it's quite raucous around that. But she never, I find that she never gets lost in the mix, which uh, is great. But she she doesn't exactly rise above it. She kind of cuts through it with this, this it's quite a, a unique voice, I think. And on later releases, I think that may, they may have put her forward a bit more than before and kept the music slightly behind but on this, uh, it sounds like it's recorded live, and I don't know if it is. Maybe if Sonia or somebody else can enlighten us on that. Uh, it has that kind of slightly recorded live vibe to it. So, yeah, and um, I don't know, the title song, Jarring and Thrilling, uh, but I prefer the third track more than uh, out of all of them, Give Her a Gun. <laughs> Let the be a 
that's again, a great song. Yeah, yeah. Which is again harder than the version that appeared on Everyone's Got One, the debut album. So uh, yeah, I, I, for me, this started me off on my Echo Belly affair, and uh, it, it's never ending. It's great to see them back, and uh, I think you didn't you actually see them? Have you? Did you see I did, them? When I, they... I saw them at Star Shaped. Uh, yeah. Last year. Um twice and for some reason I, I didn't see them during the Britpop years I don't, I, I don't know quite how that's possible because like you I really really love them I think Glenn is just the most incredible musician a really overlooked guitarist from that era I mean, we talked about this um, on a previous episode when we were discussing Adam Devlin's guitar playing I think Glenn Johansson has a very similar thing in that he is underappreciated. And then Sonia, I'm, I'm with you. The, the the voice, the look, the way that she carried herself, you know, the the image, the the, the lyrics, the words, the, the themes that she was dealing with. But yeah, somehow I I I missed them. Um, but seeing them live at, at Starshaped was a was a big thrill to be honest with you. And and they'd lost none of what I imagine was that kind of original fire. They they were still a, a really great live proposition. But I'm with you. I can remember, I think it was probably the Morrissey thing that dragged me in here. I, th- I think at this point, there were certain you know mentions of the Smiths, and I think Morrissey was a fan. In fact, Sonia talks about Morrissey coming round, I think. The story goes something like he came round possibly to, to her flat. Um, and I th- I've got this funny feeling that she maybe was a bit, reticent about opening the door or maybe didn't open the door you know for, because she was nervous I don't know there's a whole thing about meeting Morrissey anyway and, and he was certainly a a big fan and quite often that can be the kiss of death for a band when Morrissey kind of gets involved even, yeah. e- even before you know kind of what's happened to Morrissey now but um, yeah. even at that point a lot of the support bands and things it just never took off for them in the way that you might have thought it might have but yeah I remember buying this uh, buying it on 12 inch and like you, Give Her a Gun, I thought it was amazing. I, I loved the fact that there was a song called Sleeping Hitler. I just loved the idea that a band would you know, kind of be so provocative. And, and yeah. especially a band with a European on guitar and this British-Asian woman as a front person. And they're, you know, they're releasing songs with titles like that. And they're dealing with issues around abortion. And, you know, it wasn't, I think one of the things I wrote on the, the, the Britpop 50 article was it. You know, it wasn't all cups of sugary tea during Britpop. No, you know, there, no. there, there were a lot of really serious bands writing about things and hey, issues, man. Um, but yeah, a, a, a great record. And like you, I kind of followed them all the way through. I just, yeah, def, definitely in my oh, top five. I mean, they would definitely be in there close to Thurman. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm sure that that's. That's heady, heady stuff for them. <laughs> it's it's very difficult, you know. I would like to be more serious about these things, you know. I'd like to have like a, a, a top a top five that included Radiohead and Elliot Smith, you know. But unfortunately, um, my 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 taste stretch to the ridiculous sometimes. But yeah, well, no, I, that, I I love love Echo Belly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what taste is for, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I can't. I just can't help it, you know. I love I love pop. 
I, lo- I love things that are disposable and fluffy and throwaway. There is room in my heart. Obviously, there is room in my heart for things that are more uh, serious than that, uh, uh, and things that that connect with me on a much deeper level. Um, but I do, I do have a soft spot for uh, for shampoo and thurman. We'll maybe get to yes. shampoo in a bit. We will. Right. We will. I'm interested to get to that part, but let's not, <laughs> let's not rush to get to shampoo. Quite yet. We well, have... next. Yes. Next up, it's another of the. I mean, it's just such a hideous phrase, isn't it? Female fronted bands. Um, but it's yeah, Elastica. Notes, yeah, yeah yes. it's, uh, well, let's deal with that first of all. That kind of ghettoization that occurs in the, in the real music press of, well, we, we have to put people under some kind of umbrella term. And it was interesting, right? The 90s, all these right on journalists. And yet, quite happy to lump all the women in this little ghetto over in a corner, so we'll, we'll just we'll just we'll put you over here in this female-fronted bands corner, and then we know that we don't have to really deal with you seriously. Now, excuse us while we go and interview Richard Ashcroft or whatever it was. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And they'd always throw one kind of token lead singer into the mix when there's a um, single of the week discussion with I don't know Noel Gallagher and Jarvis Cocker. There'll be I know Louise in there, or and Sonia Madden was. Uh, whoever they'd be in there and but they wouldn't they'd probably just be a little bit of you know eye candy in the pictures or something but yeah it was odd it was i think maybe that was kind of part of the early lad thing as well maybe they were starting to be more kind of like seen as more sexualized than kind of musical at that point, I don't know. I didn't well, I like. Louise... I, I never liked it. I never liked that term. It's like. No, it's it's a, it's a it's actually quite an ugly term. And uh, Louise writes about that whole kind of. I get. I get. I mean, I guess it's Laura Mulvey, right? It's the it's the male gaze. It's that idea of. Yeah. I think Mulvey talks about a thing in in her writing on the male gaze. She talks about looked atness or looked atness. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. this idea that, w- that women are viewed only through that kind of prism of how men look at women. And the the problem with that is is that it gives meat to people who want to dismiss Britpop in its widest sense as being, you know, kind of sexist and xenophobic and blah, blah, when in truth, people like you and I and almost everybody I know, certainly, I I didn't see Elastica as a female-fronted band. I saw Elastica as a band. Yeah, I agree. I think... Do you think it's maybe because the uh, the majority of the band were female that you couldn't say that they were actually fronted by them, but they were? Oh, well, that's interesting. Them. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a bit of that. Um, but um, but, but I'm with I you on that. I didn't feel that way about. I didn't feel that way about Sleeper either. You know, I mean, obviously, I had a huge crush on on Louise. In fact, I had a huge crush on probably all of these uh, women. But I, I think that genuinely was more about. <laughs> the fact that they looked like the types of women that I felt I should be dating, right? They had Dr. Oh, Martens and yeah, haircuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was about style as opposed to sexualizing them. Uh, anyway, before we go on, that's actually a good sure. point because, you know, that style actually then filtered down into the women and the young ladies that you would actually date, which was exactly. great because you could find yourself maybe a Sonia knockoff or a, <laughs> you know, a, a local Louise down the club. And you think, well, that's, you know, I'm never going to get the real thing, but, you know. 
Well, and of course, she was thinking exactly the same thing, right? She was thinking, well, I'm never going to get Damon, but but this this spotty Herbert will do. He's got a, he's got <laughs> exactly. a he's, he's got a stone coloured Harrington and a pair of LSE trainers. He'll do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right, no, for all of us. Anyway, yes. Well, that that takes us rather brilliantly to the idea of uh, erectile <laughs> dysfunction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so stutter. We're kind of late 1993. Right, this next one's about not being able to get sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. I mean, it's it's exactly what it says in the tin. It's a it's a it's a song about erectile dysfunction. It's about you know um, men not being able to behave badly. Yeah, and allegedly it's Damon, right? Well, you know, I, I mean, I don't really want to get dragged into that. Well, no, of uh, course no. not. But there's, <laughs> there, there, it's been alluded to so many times, and uh, yeah, well, they were together, and you know, you can barely see was he staggering up my street after too much wine or something, and you know, who else would it be? Come well, that's right. That's right. Who else would it be? Who else would it be? Well, it's we, it's, we, it's a yeah. it's a classic kind of pop song. You know, it's it's two minutes and forty seconds. It it, it comes in with a bang, excuse me, and and it, it leaves with a bang, right? It's just it's fantastic. It's it's exactly what a pop song should be. You know, it's under three minutes long. It's spiky. It's jagged. It's funny. It's just it's fantastic. I love it. It's it's one of my favourite Elastica moments. I have to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. For me too. I mean, I liked Elastica, but as um, my gushing review of the previous song shows i preferred echo belly and um can we include lush well that they were shoegaze for a bit and i don't know no i would include i would include lush yeah 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 so then maybe i would i would probably put lush above elastica Alas- as well in terms of the the bands which but um this song is particularly great do you think there's anything in these rumors that continually do the rounds about old we come back to him again, old Dan Abnormal, having something to do with the, the writing of the songs. Do you think there's any truth in that, or is that just kind of closet sexism? Well, you know, it had to be a man that wrote them. Or do you think there could be some truth in that? I don't know. I think, well, I think that's taking a lot of credit away from Elastica as a band. Yeah, I think I, so. I think they were, they were the real deal. I don't think they were like... They had a great image, and they had, they looked good. They sounded good, and I don't think you, it would be fair to say that they were a kind of product which were then pushing uh, a, a blur side product project just because the lead singer's dating the lead singer of the other band. You know, I don't think that's fair. I mean, no. For me, okay, there's there's always that possibility, of course, but I would prefer to think that that's just a load of rubbish. Well, it's interesting, right? Because the 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 argument never goes the other way, 
right? Or the or the conspiracy theory never goes the other way. There's never this suggestion that somehow Justine was maybe helping with the songs on Park Life. Yeah, that's true. Somehow Damon's the genius, and Justine is just this kind of side figure floating around in his you know gravitational pull. Um, yeah. And I think that that is an example of kind of <clears throat> hidden, subtle closet kind of sexism. This idea that well. She she must have had help, you know. It's, it's not possible that the the girls in that band could have done it on their own terms. Um, and I th- I think that's I'm with you. I don't I don't believe it. I don't buy into it. So yeah, okay. Elastica, we love Elastica. Yeah, I mean, it's, before we go on, we could also sure. say that you know Justine also had a role in the early suede that's incarnation. Right. So you know, would you then say that Brett had some influence over what Elastica? did well, they weren't together obviously but i mean yeah maybe she was as influential on both suede and blur as people think they were on her well so certainly you know? brett anderson talks very movingly about her in his biography right yeah, his autobiography does, does, black yeah. mornings you know there, there is there is nothing but kind of love and respect from from his side of that story well speaking of stuttering and here Britpop fans we have an excellent segue into a song by the Supernaturals Her Majesty Which of course then became Stammer uh, in a later incarnation. So this, I'm being really playful with the timeline here. So basically, what had happened was that the Supernaturals had recorded this cassette in 1991. Wow, really? um, that, back, that far back. That early, that yeah. early, and that, that cassette was called Big Seven. Um, but they didn't release it until 1993. So I felt like I could. You know, include it in this timeline. So it's really just seven rough and ready little recordings, and the the, the song that I've chosen, that I've taken from it, is Stammer, uh, which on this tape is called Her Majesty. But it's just such a again, just a really fun pop song, and they're one of those bands, a bit like again when we discussed the the Blue Tones, Nick, we talked about that kind of American influence. Yeah, yeah. With the Birds and, you know, Buffalo Springfield, Cosby Stills, Nash and Young. Here with the Supernaturals, it's very obviously, and it's quite a common thing for a lot of these Glasgow bands, actually. They, 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 they've got a real thing for the monkeys. Um, yeah. You, you know, you, you don't really hear them talking about the Beatles, Glasgow bands, you know. It's quite yeah. common for the English bands to talk about how the Beatles are the biggest influence. A lot of these Glasgow buyers road West End indie bands have got a real thing for the monkeys. And you can hear that in a lot of the supernaturals, you know, the kind of dedication to writing catchy pop songs, um, you know, with funny, sweet, bittersweet lyrics. It's It runs right through them. Supernaturals, you got any thoughts on the supernaturals? Did they cross your radar back in the day? They did, but um, I have to admit that there are only two things about the supernaturals that I remember from back in the day. And the first is is the smile single mm. i'm sorry to say that the most commercial thing that they no they no i did, love it that was uh um 
that was the first thing and <laughs> the second being that um uh the band t-shirt i stole off my flatmate Haley, <laughs> which, which was way too small to go out in and yet i did it was 1997 i've been drinking since 93 i wasn't skinny and even though Haley was you know, ample chested bless her I, st- I still looked like the only gay in the village uh, going, going out in this Supernatural t-shirt. So I don't have any happy memories of them, I have to have to say. The smile single kind of annoyed me. But I have to say that I dug this one out, the, Her Majesty, and uh, on your advice, of course, and it is a tune. It won't make me wear a stolen skin-type Supernatural t-shirt ever again, but I rate it. Yeah, so Wait, that's it, so deserves, funny you say it that. deserves its place for sure. We'll, we'll go with that. And I, I would yeah. have to say as well, another big success story for uh, our mutual friends at Starshaped, who you know got them back together, really, or certainly yeah. provided a big platform for them last year. They played all the, the Starshaped dates, and they were, they were fantastic. They were really great. And I've got big, big hopes that we might hear some new music from the Supernaturals this year. That is, yeah. that is my dream. All I was going to say was, aren't they supporting somebody big on the tour on like the a, sleeper they're supporting sleeper oh, this yeah, month. exactly that's it they're on the sleeper tour aren't they that's yeah it. that's right I, I remember just seeing them recently the name popped up again and that yeah so yeah let's hope let's hope and of course yeah well we'll maybe come to sleeper later right now th- th- amazingly this this next one probably annoyed irritated upset more people than i thought it would it's, it certainly seems to be more controversial than than I thought it would be in the Oasis community. So I picked Columbia uh, by Oasis. Um, not because it's necessarily my favourite Oasis song, but, you know, as I said way back at the start of this conversation, I was trying to tell the story of Britpop in 50 records, not necessarily the 50 best songs. Although, I think I've chosen 50 pretty great songs, but Columbia by Oasis then, this kind of white label demo that kind of announced Oasis's arrival, um, and it certainly seems to be a song that divides the Oasis community, Nick. Yeah, it's interesting that, huh? Yeah, a lot of people, yeah, yeah, I mean, again, another mutual friend of ours, uh, James over at the Oasis podcast, he is not a fan. He he does not like Columbia. Um, What what does he know in there? He doesn't know what he's he's talking about. Oasis? (laughs) Sorry, James, of course, we love you. Of course, you know what you're talking about. It's just that I I disagree with you on this. I'm afraid. Well, here here we should we should say before before you say anything about this next that actually you know you do know what you're talking about here. Um, You've of course written a book about Oasis. Um, So uh, would you like to remind us of the name of that book and can people still buy it from Amazon? Oh, I do love a good plug. No, you're welcome, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I wrote a book called Where Did It All Go Wrong. And it's about the, well, somebody, it was very nice. I think it was James, actually, so I feel really bad about what I just said about it. <laughs> James actually said a really nice thing that um, where Supersonic, the documentary ends, my book begins. 
And I thought that that's was right. like, that's, that's a huge compliment. And I really appreciated that. And uh, from um, him and other people, um, I, they've really pushed that and helped me um, publicize it and get it out to the fans, which have, it's been taken up by a good few dozen of them. <laughs> but no, seriously, it's um, it's a story from basically from when, from Nebworth ending uh, all the way through what happened next through be here now and finishes up just as oasis mark two start work after standing on the shoulder of giants so it's, it's kind of like the fall it's the millennium meltdown in a way it's kind of like the end of Britpop. it's the end of oh well it, it's the the story of oasis at their most massive and um as Irvin Welsh said in the um, Upside Down documentary, he said it's like the the Empire of Rome when it's at its biggest and most powerful. You know that it's crumbling, and yeah. uh, that was kind of the whole point of me writing it. I wanted to capture the period of the time where they were at the, their most empirical. You know that that, that this imperial phase where they could do no wrong except they went and did everything wrong kind of in a way (laughs) and um kind of blew it all and snorted it all and ended up having to go back to square one in a way and i found that what the um the story which matt whitecross covers extremely well obviously is like the classic rock and roll tale of like the the council estate boys making it huge and in such a short amount of time as well but i also found that the the story of them kind of plummeting back to earth was also a very interesting story so that's why i wrote the book and it is available still and please buy it and send it to your friends and yeah yeah um, well okay so yeah. uh, where did it all go wrong uh, by yeah. nick amy's um maybe if i ever get around to putting show notes on these things or uploading it to youtube I'll, I'll put a link into that but i'll certainly tweet about it once we're we're done here so that's the end of the story nick yeah. this really is the beginning of the story columbia it is. so yeah I, I love it i do too and should we <laughs> touch on the i mean I, I think again i have to maybe kind of defer to to other people here but i think i'm right in thinking that there's a bit of a bit of the real people influence in here yeah there are these stories yeah and i think they're not without truth i think everyone's kind of admitted to a certain degree that there's either there should be either a co-writing credit or something somebody wrote more than they're given credit for I think that's kind of the gist of it, right? That's that, that's how I'm reading things. And I, I, I didn't really know anything about the real people until, again, uh, star-shaped last year, the real people were on the bill. Yeah. And I turned up not really knowing what to expect. But they were fantastic, I have to say, as, as, a, as a live entity. I mean, it was a proper wall of sound. I mean, they were they were tight, as you would imagine, for a band that had been together for that length of time. Mm-hmm. And I could definitely hear some of those bigger oasis moments in those songs so i i i think there is 
and it's just opinion. I don't know. Again, we should maybe speak to James about this, but I, I think that there is definitely uh, something has has gone on there. But it's, it's an incredible song. You know, it's all kind of swampy and it's big and, you know, there's guitars soaring right, left and centre and the bass line is throbbing and you get introduced to this Liam Gallagher voice, which at the time didn't sound like anything else, even though it sounded like lots of other things. It's, uh, it's quite the calling card, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember... I th- there's no point lying about it. Like you wrote in the top 50, there's no point lying about having the white label demo because I don't know how many people actually did have it. It's like, all, exactly. If you talk to how many people were at the sex pistols gigs in, in Manchester, <laughs> you know, every, everyone was there and they probably weren't, but um, it's, it's kind of one of those mythical things having the white label demo of Columbia. But the first time I heard it was when I bought definitely maybe, and I was listening through, headphones which i did most of the time because <laughs> one of my flatmates had a habit of watching horror films at full volume and, <laughs> and, and another one had a particularly loud girlfriend so sometimes <laughs> so sometimes it was hard to work out whether someone was being machete to death or being stabbed in a more pleasurable way but anyway <laughs> so i was lost in the music with my headphones on when columbia droned in on that feedback and these ghostly echoing vocals before you know it kind of crashes in at full speed you know like you said then this liam vocal starts up and there we were now here we are all this confusion nothing's the same to me and that's like wow i mean okay that's kind of it's talking to me right there and then about kind of what is going on with this song and what's going on with my life and it was one of those lyrics which could have come from my own mind if I'd been able to put into words what this whole maelstrom in my head was all about at that time. And there we have it. Another episode of the Mild Mannered Army podcast draws to a close. My thanks, as ever, to Mr Nick Amys. You can find Nick on Twitter at Nick underscore Amys. You can find me at Mild Mannered Max. You can check out the website at www.themildmanneredarmy.com and you can also find me on Patreon if you would like to pledge and show your support for the site and the podcast uh, if you go to Patreon and search for Moza you will find me there and from as little as just 77 pence a month you could be helping us to make more podcasts and produce more content for the website thanks for listening, bye